as we get ready to see where the people were at, put yourself into their place. We're supposed to build the city of Jerusalem up. It's nothing. It's got to become something. Zechariah is now going to play a key role. Haggai got it going. Zechariah is going to keep it going. And he is going to continue to tell them that they um, can do this. There is good news. Uh, there is grace. There is hope. Because it's at a time where there is no hope. These people are there and they're saying, what can we do? It's an obliteration. We, and we, we're not getting anything accomplished. So that is the situation where Zechariah is at. Now you have that, right? We have the Babylonians, we have the Medes and Persians. Do you know who comes after the Medes and the Persians? Who defeats them? Remember Alexander the Great? Who's he? The Greeks. And then after the Greeks, the Romans. And that will take you up to the time of Christ. So within a space of about uh, 600 years, you have the four world empires. And that's what Daniel is about, or at least uh, some of it. Because he had a dream. Zechariah had a vision. And so Daniel tells about that, and you look back at it, and you go, wow, that's tremendous. Because he was right on, wasn't he? And uh, so here we are during the time of the Medes and the Persians. Here are the Israelites. Now they're coaxed to go back home. And uh, some of them do. And now, in Zechariah last week, this is what we, we dealt with. In the first six verses, he says there's going to be blessing. It's going to be a blessing to you people. But here is the condition. And he's going to start with repentance. Okay? And, you know, the, the main character in this whole book is who? The Messiah. That's what everything is about. That's where our hope is at. That's where their hope was at. And, and, and you'll see it very quickly uh, in, in this chapter. But the first thing that he's going to do, and, and just real quick review, first verse, in the eighth month of the second year of Darius, Medes, Persians, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah the prophet, the son of Berechiah, the son of Iddo. Iddo means in his time. Uh, we said Zechariah means God remembers. Do you remember Berechiah, what that name meant? Well, and, and this is his father, and, and he'll say it a second time. Uh, but God remembers, and just that in itself, and there's his grandfather, Iddo, in God's time, right? God will remember. In God's time. You get in the very first part of the Gospels and you have the John the Baptist story and what is his name? Zechariah. What does that name mean? God remembers. Zechariah is one of the last prophets. And shortly hereafter, God will not speak to the people again until he speaks to who? Zechariah. Okay, um, uh, verse 2, The Lord was very angry with your fathers. Now this is the word of the Lord come to Zechariah. Therefore say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return to me. So we covered last week the wrath of God. And Zechariah is speaking here. Um, 
By the way, that Berechiah means God blesses. God remembers. God blesses. And throughout this book, that's what it's about. And Ido means what? In His time. Because the people are going to say, is it now? Is it time for this? In His time. We're asking, is it time? Is it, Lord, you're coming back real quick, aren't you? How many believe that? I believe it. I'd like to think right today you'd come back. Okay, but, you know, we still wait. We still wait. They were waiting. Paul was saying the same thing, right? That's right. He did. He did. He did. We're just one day closer. one day closer. So we, we, we covered the anger of God, and He's a God of wrath. Uh, did God send the flood? Did He make that happen? Yeah, He did, didn't He? Uh, how about, uh, did He put uh, judgment on Egypt? He delivered the people, right? Nadab, Abihu, Korah, all those people, the wrath of God was shown that He judges sin. Now we go on to verse, um, we, we read verse 2. Very angry with their fathers, therefore say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return to me. You know what he starts off with? And we said this last week. Repentance. That's where the good news starts. Because they need to see that they don't stand very well in the presence of a holy God. Matter of fact, they don't stand. Nobody stands. And here we have, Return to me declares the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, that I may return to you, says the Lord of hosts. As they're building this place up, Zechariah says, God is saying, return to Him. You can do that. You should have that desire. That's good, isn't it? You could have said, well, God's done with us. But no, He says, return to Me. He's saying, repent, that I may return to you. Do not be like your fathers, in verse 4, to whom the former prophets proclaimed, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return now from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. But they did not listen or give heed to me, declares the Lord. So what, what was the message then with the prophets? Repent. If you change your ways. You, you, uh, repentance is this. You're one way, and then all of a sudden, what do you do? About face. About face. Go completely another way. That's repenting. That's turning. It's a complete turn. That's what he wanted the people to do. But they didn't. He judged them. And now he sh- it's like he shows up in the prophet of Zechariah and says, you can return to me. And I- I'm here. So the grace of God is found in there when he says, return to me. Because they could have said, "We give up. We can't. We can't do anything," and uh, that's that's the message. Look at James chapter four, verse eight. So, rather simple so far, right? <laughs> James four eight. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. What is He saying there? Repent. Draw near to me. You come to me. Return to me. That's where the gospel starts. Zechariah is giving the gospel here. He's saying, God is there. Repent. Turn. Turn to God. So, uh, in verses 3 and 4, in Zechariah, Zechariah 1, he has a plea here that they would repent. Don't be like your fathers. 
um, turn from your evil ways. The fathers, he's talking about their past history and how they denied the Lord and, and went their own way. So he's telling them repent. Then he gives a pattern of their history. And it's not pretty. See how the first six verses start? Pretty hard, right? You say, well, he shouldn't have done that because he'll lose his audience. <laughs> but this is what they have to hear. This, otherwise, the good news is, is no good unless there's a repentance, a change of heart. So we tell people that they need Christ, but they have to change. There's a change there that is done. There's a repentance. So in verse 4, Do not be like your fathers, to whom the former prophets proclaimed, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return now from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. But they did not listen or give heed to me, declares the Lord. Now here's your pattern. Your fathers... Where are they? Where are they at? And the prophets, do they live forever? But did not my words and my statutes, which I commanded, my servants, the prophets, overtake your fathers? You know, where, where are they at? They're dead. And we know that, uh, you know, what, what is the wages of sin, according to Romans? The wages of sin is death. They were not only dead physically, they were dead spiritually. And that's what you know all people are until Christ uh, enlivens them. So uh, the prophets, the fathers, uh, did they do my words, my statute, which I commanded, the servants, the prophets, overtake your fathers? Then they repented and said, as the Lord of hosts purposed to do to us in accordance with our ways and our deeds, so He has dealt with us. The ones who realized what they were and how much they needed God said, this is the way it is. He, uh, because he, he warned us. We didn't repent. And then the ones who truly repent, He did have to punish this nation. And that's how He dealt with them. That's the first six verses. It doesn't sound very hopeful, huh? But it does, because God is crying out, turn to Me. So if He says that, it is something that He desires. So the condition for blessing is what? Repentance. If you repent, you also believe. Faith and repentance. And of course, that is granted from God. Let's go in now and start with our, uh, our visions. And uh, the first one is found in 7 through 17. There's a red horse. There is a rider on the red horse. This is fascinating. There are myrtle trees there. Oh, no. <laughs> Can't wait to get to the myrtle trees. Um, what are they? Who are the riders on the other horses? Because there's a white horse and also a horse that is uh, sorrel. Then, uh, I'll tell you in a moment what, the, what a sorrel horse is. Well, in Revelation, you get a, a red horse, right? You get a white horse and there's a red horse there and God uses that. Uh, in this case, this is a different kind of a red horse. It is, and a lot of this is apocalyptic, but actually it's news for them right now that, that it does happen. And what he wants to do is encourage them. 
So you're right. A lot of this stuff, we can get help from Revelation though because the symbols there are very similar because if you have... Uh, well, I was going to talk about, like for instance, the symbol of the red horse. It's blood. It's war. It's battle. You look throughout the Old Testament, you have uh, horses. And, of course, they're used for other situations. But throughout Scripture, you will see them being used as like war horses. War and battle. And so, as we get in verse 7, on the 24th day of the 11th month, okay, and you're in the same year, the second year of Darius, so we were on the 8th month, and now we are on the 11th month. It's like a month, uh, it's like three months later. So he's given time here. The second year of Darius, which there really historically was, this leader by the name of Darius. So very accurate in uh, the historical uh, approach. And it says, The word of the Lord came to Zechariah. Now, it already came in verses 1 through 6, right? The word of the Lord came to Zechariah, and he said, Repent. Return. That's, that's our six verses. That's easy, right? Where's the Gospel start with? Repent. And so, he says, now he's going to come and give them comfort. And he says, uh, came to Zechariah the prophet, the son of Berechiah, which would be his father, and the son of Iddo, as follows. I saw at night. Now, this is a vision. Now, the uh, video showed... Uh, kind of talked about dreams there. Very similar, very close. I don't want to divide it up too much, but sometimes you have where God uses dreams, and that's where people sleep. I think Zechariah here has a vision, as it says here. Uh, he sees this, and it's like probably he's awake. And so he's able to see things in a... Um, in a supernatural sense that goes beyond what any other human could have unless God is bringing His revelation to them. And He's going to relate this to the, to the people. But here's what was shown to Zechariah and what, nobody else could see it. I saw at night and behold, a man was riding on a red horse. Very visible to him, Zechariah. He was standing among the myrtle trees. Okay, the red horse, we talked about that. Uh, which were in the ravine, we're going to talk about the ravine, with red, sorrel, and white horses behind him. So he sees these horses. Is sorrel a color? Sorrel would be. Okay, what's, what's, there's a red horse, there's a white horse, there's a sorrel horse. A sorrel horse would be a mixture of red and white, kind of brownish. Like a palomino. Maybe like a palomino. Yeah, and and matter of fact, I think there's a there's a weed that's even uh, called sorrel, and it, and it has like a, a brown to it. You ever heard of that? I think that's kind of weed that I have in my yard. I cannot I get rid of. Huh? I think my yard is. Oh, that's yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, they, they it likes the sorrel dominate. yard. Yeah, good. Right. <laughs> nice little brownish yard here now. Yeah. So, you have a red one that's war and battle. What does white represent? Matter of fact, in Revelation, when Jesus comes back, what's he riding on? White horse. White horse. What's that mean? 
triumph, victory. Red horse means battle, war. White horse means there's going to be victory. What's sorrel? Well, it's a mixture. There's battle, there's war going on, there's victory. By the way, you can take this into your own lives and apply a lot of this. Do we have our wars going on? Do we have battles? Sometimes it doesn't seem like we're winning. But there is victory. We have victory over sin. And sometimes there's just like a mixture going on. So, just kind of uh, relating that to it. When you get into symbols, I know you, uh, I can run into trouble by making those interpretations. But with those colors, I think it's safe to say that you use colors throughout Scripture. And uh, red would definitely be seen on the robe of Jesus when He comes back on the white horse. And what does that red mean? The blood. It's the blood. And when He comes back, He takes on the enemy and He just wipes them out. You know, they're done very quickly. Okay, so we covered the horses. And it says that uh, a man is riding on a red horse. Maybe we'll get to that in a moment. Um, and he was standing among the myrtle trees. Let's think about the myrtle trees. Myrtle trees are really common in Israel. Matter of fact, they're so common, you just see them everywhere. They're just all over the place. They're all over Jerusalem there. Okay, Zechariah is talking to these people that are there. They see these myrtle trees. And by the way, you think of trees and you, and you think of these big trees, you know, maybe 10 feet to 20 or 30 feet. They're, they're not like trees. They're like bushes, kind of. They can grow up to be about 8 feet high. You know, kind of like our crepe myrtle trees. They can be so pretty here. You know, but they don't get very big here in Missouri because Missouri is kind of a cold state through the winter. But uh, it's enough that myrtle trees, crepe myrtles, can can live here though. You know, and they can come back in in the spring. Uh, this myrtle tree uh, that they're familiar with, they're common. But if they happen to grow along where there is water or they're shaded really well they can be really beautiful. And whenever it's time to flower and blossom, they come out with a star type of a look. Uh, you know, the, the, the petals, the flowers on it. And they can be really beautiful. It, but they need, they need the water, they need the shade, because in Israel it's pretty well desert there throughout the summer months. So we say, what do you make a big deal about the myrtle trees? Well, we'll tell in a moment kind of like what they are. Um, they're in a ravine. Okay, in Jerusalem. I wish I had a picture of it here. Um, in Jerusalem, have you guys seen the pictures of Jerusalem? You know, have the, the Dome of the Rock there. You know, the Arabs have that, right? That's really where the Temple Mount is. Across from there, if you go east, what do you have there? <coughs> the Mount of Olives. Do you remember when Jesus was praying, you know, in the uh, like Gethsemane or something? Or a lot of times he would he'd be up in that area. That's where he'd stay, and then he'd come down the from word there. Garden. Yeah. Gardens. Right. <laughs> Just, yeah. Right. Living. Well, that's across a ravine. It's east of Jerusalem. It's just on the other side. In the midst of them is a valley. There's a valley 
that would be the the Kidron Valley, which would run uh, like north and south, and that's separating the Mount of Olives from the Temple Mount. And you keep on going, you kind of bend around, and there's another valley, and it's called the Valley of Hinnom. The Valley of Hinnom was representative of hell because that's where they would, that's where all the trash was taken, and there was an eternal fire going there, always. And that was used as an illustration of what hell was like, the Valley of Hinnom. But if, if you take that whole area, that, that's a ravine. These people are in Jerusalem, right? And as he tells them, okay, you got this, this horse and, and, and there's the myrtle trees and they're seeing myrtle trees. They're seeing this ravine where it kind of matches up uh, the, the two valleys, Kidron Valley and Valley of Hinnom. And then you have the red, the sorrel, and white horses behind him. And you have a rider on the red horse. Well, let's go back to the red horse. War, battle, uh, in verse 9, it says a man was riding on it. Does it say who it is? Verse 9, Then I said, My Lord, what are these? And the angel who was speaking with me said to me, I'll show you what, what these are. By the way, you have uh, throughout Zechariah, you will see the angel of the Lord most often. Who is that the angel of the Lord? That would be the Messiah. That would be Christ. The pre-incarnate Christ. He is the one who is the commander-in-chief riding on this red horse. So, that to us is easy to interpret, isn't it? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so what you say when he says, uh, when he's saying, my Lord, he's talking about Christ, and it's referring to him as an angel, would you say that Christ is appearing to him as he did the apostles on the mountain when he was in like full glory? Well, what you and, and and I think through Zechariah we're going to see. Yeah, this angel of the Lord is. I don't know how much he's revealing here, mm-hmm. but he is. You know, he's called the angel of the Lord, and I think we've already uh, seen that in a previous verse, uh, have we or not? Maybe not. Uh, we had the Lord of Hosts and such, but as as we build up, we'll see more. Um, and anyway, you got you have, you have two angels here. One of them is the one who is speaking with me, he's like an interpreter angel. Whereas the angel of the Lord, uh, most often it's really going to be the Messiah. It's Jesus. And I would say that he is the one riding this horse because he is the one who's going to have victory in in the battle. And Okay, you're, you're saying that... The man riding on the horse. This man riding on the red horse is the Lord. The angel of the Lord. Okay. And there's another man there standing in the glen? There's there's an angel who keeps speaking with Zechariah who interprets. And then sometimes Zechariah is also, he is being spoken to by the the angel of the Lord. Well, see, I was under the impression that the guy on the horse and the guy... It says he was standing among the myrtle trees. Mm-hmm. I thought that was the same guy. But then if you read a little further, it sounds like there's another guy. Uh, 
Yeah, okay. Sounds like there's a guy on the horse and somebody standing. I think the one who's standing there, the I think, is is still, even though he's got the red horse, and it's like, does he get off and does he stand there? I'm not so oh, sure. But I think this would be the angel of the Lord here. Okay. And, he's, and what's significant about that, he's standing among the myrtle trees and say, okay, what's the myrtle trees then? He's told us about what they literally are. They are there. People see him as he's speaking. He's not saying things that they don't know of. Myrtle trees. I propose to you the myrtle trees is Israel because they would be the ones who are in a ravine. They are in a very low spot. They are beautiful in the sense these are the people that God loves so much, but they're, it's almost like they're hidden in a sense and they're down low. They have to be humbled, don't they? And they are humbled. And so the myrtle trees, which is very common, and there are many of them, they're all throughout the land. They can fill out the land of Israel. That's what would be the Israelite. So some interpret that way, and I kind of, uh, I, I like that. I, I favor that. Uh, yeah, there's a physical aspect here, but in this vision, uh, you know, the horses, the, the trees, the ravine, you know, the low spots the, that it is. Like everything is symbolic? Yeah. Very symbolic. Kind of like the it's a vision. Yeah, Go, think back in, in Genesis. There you have uh, you have him. Um, of course, you have you know in, in what is it in in, um, in Hebrews? In times past, God spoke through to, to the people through many. Divers ways or many various ways through through uh, visions and dreams. Animals. <laughs> yeah, animals, that's right. <laughs> many different ways, right? That's right. And he revealed himself that way. Of course, in these last days, he's revealed himself through <clears throat> Jesus Christ. But all through here, here is, you know, like I say, the the Messiah is definitely the the peak one, so it's it's nice to just you know kind of see him there. Um, it says nine, my Lord, what are these? And the angel who was speaking with me said to me, I will show you what are the these are. And the man who was standing among the myrtle trees answered and said, these are those whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. Okay, we're talking about the horses, the riders. They're there, got the myrtle trees, got the red horse, white horse. And, of course, God uses His good angels, His messengers. These guys are the in the God patrol, I guess you could say. They're patrolling the earth. And as we develop through here, we can see what's happening. He's saying, okay, the Messiah is amongst His people, Right? There, there is the, the angel of the Lord. He's amongst the myrtle trees or the people in a very low spot. And they're looking up in the area where you know you would build a temple. There's really nothing there yet much. <laughs> but, and this is what this is all pointing to. There's going to be a temple. There's going to be the city built. These guys are going to play a huge part in it. And through all of those visions, every one of them is going to say it in a little bit different angle. But that's what they're really aiming at. Do you think that that would kind of gear you on to keep going? 
when it seemed like hopeless, wouldn't you want to just give up saying it's not happening? People are against us. They war against us for doing this. They don't want us here. They've never wanted Israel there. People don't want Christians giving them truth unless God draws them, right? What is that scripture? Uh, people, my people will perish for the lack of vision. Yeah, there's a, you have to. Oh. Make that, yeah, I'm trying to think of that. I'm saying it quite right, but yeah. Right. So, um, so anyway, they're seeing these, and he said, "These are those whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth." So they answered the angel of the Lord, who was standing among the myrtle trees, Christ in the middle of His people, right? And said, We have patrolled the earth, and behold, all the earth is peaceful and quiet. Remember on the video? What's happened? Okay, Babylonians. War. Killing nations. Taking people captive. Taking Israel captive. Medes and Persians, come and conquer them. All of a sudden, it appears that there is peace at this time. This is why Israel is going to be able to do what they do. They're even going to be supported. They're going to get support from the uh, Persian government to go out and do what they do to help build this. It seems to be peaceful and quiet. Don't you think that it was peaceful because Satan feared he'd taken care of Israel? It was gone? (laughs) There was nobody to stir up, and, and no, there was no purpose in war now. Yeah, and, and the and the people there of the of the nation, especially under Darius, now it was Cyrus, and look what they've done. They have brought peace to the world. But what does it say in the New Testament? What does it say in Thessalonians? Be careful, because whenever they say peace, peace, what do they say? The that's right. The end is near. Sudden destruction, right? Because mankind does it. And so there they are, and they don't feel like they really have peace, though. They want their temple so bad. They want the city of Jerusalem built. They want it to where, you know, there's a. I think God put it in these people to do that, just like He does with Christians. Why do we keep doing what we do? Have certain desires. That's yeah. Why do we want to do right? Why do we want to. Build up the body of Christ. For some reason he puts that in us, doesn't he? It's like, boy, it'd be awful. You guys ever been to that point where you just like to give up? I believe so. I believe we're always there. Or we can't have that battle, you know. But at the same time, no, we want to do God's will. So what he's saying here that okay, they have patrolled the earth, they've been all over, and you know, that's all on these horses and they're there is Christ, the angel of the Lord. He's with the people. Verse 12, Then the angel of the Lord said, O Lord of hosts, how long will you have no compassion for Jerusalem and the cities of Judah, with which you have been indignant these 70 years? Okay, interesting. The angel of the Lord, which is Jesus, is doing what? He's talking to the Lord of hosts. He's talking to God the Father. He's interceding as He always intercedes for us. How long will you have no compassion for Jerusalem? Now He says it in what would be a human word, but He says, 
okay, you've been indignant, you've been angry, and but the 70 years have been done. People are back here. And this is exactly what the people are saying, aren't they? When are we, you know, when is this going to happen? You know, there's nothing being done. We're, we're not getting it done. They're ready to give up. Do you see how practical this is? The Lord answered the angel who was speaking with me with gracious words, comforting words. So the angel who was speaking with me said to me, Proclaim, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and Zion. What you have here is the Lord does care. He speaks with gracious words. He speaks comforting words. And that's Zechariah. That's the book of Zechariah. He gives them comfort. Gives them encouragement. Keeps pushing them on. And he's saying, proclaim this. I'm jealous for Jerusalem and Zion. I have real care. I have compassion. I have love. I have mercy and grace for these people. And so, um, verse 15, he goes on and he says, by the way, uh, we had that Lord of hosts that was in verse 12. He's the Lord of the armies. What does that mean? The Lord of the armies. He's the the commander-in-chief of this. I mean, he is going to bring on the conquering, victorious warriors, the battles. God's going to win. It's really what it's it's going to be. And that's good news for us, isn't it? See see the practicality in all the way through this uh, ourselves. But he says in verse 15, Okay, uh, we've already seen, you've seen the first person of the Trinity answers the, the plea here. You know, you have gracious words, comforting words. By the way, that's, that's the whole key to this whole book of Zechariah. That's really what he's doing. Even with all the symbols and the prophetic uh, allusions, everything that's there, it's all pointing to the culmination of how comforting God is. He's exceedingly jealous. Let's go back to Isaiah 31, verse 5. God is jealous. He's jealous for His people. He doesn't want other nations destroying them. Like flying birds, so the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, will protect Jerusalem. He will protect and deliver it, he will pass over and rescue it. Now he's talking about Jerusalem, isn't he? That is what he's already said. That was to Isaiah uh, ooh, close to maybe 300 years ago, <coughs> according since uh, the time of Isaiah to the time of Zechariah. But that's a promise, and that's what God always does. Well, let's go back um, to... Second Chronicles, even further back, Second Chronicles six six. But I have chosen Jerusalem that my name might be there, and I have chosen David to be over my people Israel. 
Now that was that literally came to be true. David the king and such, right? But he chose Jerusalem. Why did he do it? Because the people were so good <laughs> that his name would be proclaimed. That it would all be all about him. Why did he choose them? You know, they were the, the least of all the people. Wasn't anything special about them. I think Deuteronomy 6 you know, talks about that. But he chose them because that's who he wanted to choose and work through them so that the Word of God would come through them. And uh, probably quite a few reasons, but that would be one of the biggest reasons. But he chose them to start with to show how great he is. Yeah, Bill. Um, so when did God tell the people, when did God give the name Jerusalem? The uh, well, actually, if you go back to uh, Genesis, you know, during the time of Sodom and Gomorrah, and you have Abraham, Abraham went up to a city after he had had victory, mm-hmm. went up and made a. Uh, there was the Melchizedek priest, okay. and he went up and made an offering there, and that place was called Shalom or Salem. And what you have is, of course, that wasn't the home of the Israelites at the time. We're talking about Abraham. This was before there was a nation even. But he went there. So that place had always been there. And it worshipped the El Elyon, or the Most High God. He was a Gentile, this guy was, because everybody was Gentile. But there it was, and that is the same place, probably offered at the very same spot where the temple later was, and where they sacrificed the animals. So would that whole place then later on become Jerusalem? And that is where Jerusalem is today. And on that uh, high uh, mount that's there, that was pro- that was in that same place, because same spot. So that's interesting because, uh, like, when you follow the names back, like uh, you know, Israelites, you know, Jacob has the name changed to Israel. Right, and when you read, and it, you can see that when God talks, He'll talk to Jacob, but then after He had changed His name, He'll still refer to Jacob sometimes as Jacob, but also <laughs> refer reason. to him as is like you know as Israel, like Peter. Yeah, yeah so like it's like Christ did with Peter. So it's very interesting the way these names sometimes work out. He wasn't like, Peter. <laughs> so it's like Jerusalem and Israel. It's just it's all it goes back to the promise that God gave back to Adam and Eve that through their you know, descendants through Abraham and Isaac and through them will come the Messiah. And it just, mm-hmm. it's kind of cool following their names mm-hmm. and like where the names came from and when they were changed and, you know, how it came about. And then he good. calls them back again. Do you, yeah. ever, you have a second name, Mabel? Does your mother ever use your second name when yeah, she's really... Name, and my full name when I was in trouble. Yes, that's exactly when he throws them back and forth. That's what he's doing. What they're acting alike is what he's referring to mm. their... Well, you know, it's interesting. Yeah. Jacob's name means what? Mm. To, to deceive. deceive. Yeah. He changed the name to Israel, and that name means what? To wrestle with God. That, of course, they wrestled with God. Jacob actually literally did, and what was it? The, the socket out of his yeah, hip yeah. went out of joint. You know what's interesting is that, man, you, you're saying that, and just something popped into my head. It's gone, man. But 
about the name changing when you're they're trying to get your attention when they call no, you a certain name. But I like that idea of leading all the way up to Jerusalem, because here we are now after they were cast out. God has brought a remnant into the nation. They don't all come there really fired up and really ready. Let's go. You know, maybe they have some go-go, but they got discouraged. Here comes Zechariah, and now he starts unloading who this God is, and he is for his people, and he's going to build Jerusalem. And they're going to do it. He's going to put it in their heart to build it, and they literally did. They built it back up. Temple, walls, and everything. The city was remade. So they started with the temple. Yeah, and of course, you know, of course, delays and such. And it's they built the walls. Walls first. Well, you have walls. You have uh, Nehemiah. There was a building uh, of that, and of course, you know, they they immediately wanted to start getting sacrifices and and such going, but uh, you know. Well, let's get back to the Jerusalem's name. You said that it was Shalom. Uh, Salem. Salem? Is shalom. Okay, and that means okay. peace. Which means peace. So today, Jerusalem, the salam means peace. Yeah. What does Jeru mean? <laughs> I knew somebody's going to ask. Who's <laughs> my phone? I forgot. I really do. I forgot. Is it like an elegant It's interesting. Solomon's name is shalom. Solomon, shalom. He's, re- he's reflecting. Well, and he was representing that there is a time. Of, there was a time of peace after David being king. There was a it's war all the time, but Solomon was a peaceful king. That represents a lot right there. City, this is Yeru means city, city of peace. And they laugh at that a lot today, right? It's always been a place of war. Always. So why is it a city of peace? <laughs> well, Zechariah is going to give us a really good clue as we go through this book. So, uh, it's time to stop. Uh, we didn't get to quite finish with that section, and we'll go right on into another vision or so. We'll get into Shekinah glory and uh, all sorts of different kinds of things that this symbolically uh, really brings forth. But... Um, God will bring punishment on the nations. Edom, Assyria, Babylon, and those going to, you know, uh, they have reveled in Israel's suffering all that time. There's peace here, and they're saying, boy, you know, okay, there's a time of peace. But to them, it didn't seem like it, did it? Well, and they made it worse. To the nations, it does. They didn't just leave them alone. They made it worse. Exactly. That's what I was. Yeah. Getting back to so, Jacob, Israel's name, to uh, wrestle with God, you know, I, I stopped to think about like all the stuff that God asked the Israelites to do, you know, and saying that you will be set apart from the rest of the world. <laughs> and then there's the time where the Israelites are like, we want a king, we want to be like the rest of the world. You know, you can see the, the rebellion there. They're like, we don't want to do what you're saying. We want to be like the rest of the world. So what did God do? So leave us alone. <laughs> and God was like, all right. Okay. Fine. I'll give you one. And yeah. then they're like, we're sorry. Well, he did warn them, though. But he told them, he you know, you got a king, you're going to be paying taxes, you're going to lose your kids. But that's, that's the thing is, it's, it's, like, to be, it's, it's funny that, that Jesus yeah. comes, you know, and the apostles afterward, they're like, make the Israelites jealous. 
like, be obedient, submissive, like they were. You know, do what you're supposed to do, and they will be jealous, and then that will help them to turn back to God. Yep. You know, and it's just kind of interesting that way, like, the rest of the world probably would not have. I mean, maybe the Gentiles would have. Like, if you stop to think about every time the Gentiles had an interaction with the Israelites where they weren't always at war with them, you know, they seem to be more like, especially in Jesus' time, more willing to hear out the Lord than... Well, even in the Old Testament, there was an occasional uh, Gentile that God, you know, visited. You know, and took favor on. Yeah. It, was, it just seemed like, you know, one was given, like, rules and to follow in the rest of the world, which is allowed to just run yeah. chaotically. Yeah. But they had no and they problem. didn't like their rules. They didn't like their rules. <laughs> right. It's the yeah. same but, thing today. Isn't uh, it? Yeah, and without that, you have no hope. Yeah. You have no rules. Yeah. You have no guidance. Same thing God today. says, return to me. Mm -hmm. And whatever I have to say, the word of the Lord. If you go back, and this is what it's about. If we have a desire for the word of the Lord and to live that out, then he blesses. And he certainly does in, in a lot of different ways. But um, that's quite the hope. Uh, he gives them a promise in verse 16 and 17. And it, you know he's going to restore them. There's going to be reconstruction. He's going to reassure them. Close out on Isaiah 40 verse 1. <laughs> Gone way past what I was... Isaiah 40 verse 1. This is what Isaiah had already told them about. Comfort... Oh, comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem and call out to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed, that she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. There's been the punishment. There will be finally, there will be a day where He will be done with all the punishment and the discipline and His people. Of course, that's all believers. But even to these people, as in Romans 9, 10, and 11 brings forth, it goes right along with Zechariah. He made promises to these individ or this individual nation that of, out of the remnant, those believers that believe the same way we are, justify the same way we are, that His promises will come true. And He did not abandon them. And His, his callings are irrevocable. He, what he said, he will make sure comes true. We're being grafted into that tree that he started with the nation of Israel. One day he will bring them back, a remnant that, and he shows that there's my promises. And that's what Zechariah is bringing forth here. Not only that it would happen there immediately for them, but in the future, because we know that when Christ came again, they didn't receive Christ, did they? As a nation, as a whole. And then he put judgment on them, 70 AD. And now we live in a time that's very exciting. Very similar. Yes, the people are back in the land. There is a nation there as a whole. They do not believe Jesus. They don't believe in the Messiah. They reject him. They still have the same kind of teachers. We're headed back to the days of Noah. That'll never happen again. Oh, it's going to be worse. I mean, <laughs> it won't ever be totally destroyed by, no, by, by yeah, like water or fire. 
Let's pray. Father, thank You for this evening. Thank You for Your Word and Your truth. And Lord, it is exciting to get into Your promises, Your blessings, and just Your ways. And help us to be able to be encouraged by this passage, knowing You are amongst us, just like the, the angel of the Lord amongst the myrtle trees. Uh, thank you for making us people who desire your ways. And Lord, help us commit even further to that. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. What do you think? Zechariah's going to be a challenge? Or are you guys getting a uh, handle on it? Is this, is this helpful? That little, it seems like a difficult that little, book. That little video. That Did was, that help? That was mm-hmm. very Good. Yeah. Good. Good deal. I was hoping so. Yeah, the overall picture yeah. Just kind of review it, right? Yeah. 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 More. Yeah. You guys are really asking. <laughs> you know about that one? <laughs> it's called. It's called read the scripture. Oh, they must yeah, have changed the name. That's the, well, that's the another one, but yeah. it's a, yeah, that looks just like what you had. It had a little cartoon drawing. Yeah. Forever, for a lot of books, they have that. Thank you, guys. Yeah. See you later. I saw. I saw the book of Job. Yeah, the book of Job. The Yeah. Yeah. I think overall, the the initial overall gives you a big picture. If you can get that big picture, then when you start reading through it, then it helps you break it down, doesn't it? Right. That's cool that you would recognize like, that. But it gives you a good handle. Barb, see you later. See you later. Take it easy. Bye. Yeah, that, that's what helped me understand the book of Job more because when I read the book of Job the first time, it was kind of confusing. Oh, well, it seems difficult. And I was like, time. what is going on? And then I watched the video. And then I re-read the book, so and I understood it more, and I'm, yeah. I'm going I'm through the Book of Job again, here. but this time it's much different, because <laughs> well, I remember gonna get the end in the next couple of days, and then it's going to... I still riding the skateboard, even though I was at... So as I'm reading these, I'm like, okay, Job is right. Oh, man, oh, okay. Prosperity gospel mm-hmm. is thrown out right. in the book of Job. Oh, yeah. Just right there. Because, look what yeah. it did. So, it's, 
I've not gotten to where God speaks, but it, it, I'm almost there. And that's, I think that's really where I'm leaning towards, because it's kind of cool. It's like Job was like, who can counsel God, you know? Who can take God to court and win? <laughs> right, <laughs> you know, who right. Can, who can stand before him? And he's like, but I will stand before him. It doesn't, cause I'm going to die, because obviously look at me. <laughs> But when I die, even if I die, it, though he kills me, slay me, yeah. I will still trust in him. Right. And then he believed in the resurrection. Because right. he said, I will see him. Mm -hmm. And that's, boy, that's a statement, isn't it? Uh, so, you know? the, the book of Job has got me really fired up. I'm still reading Psalms. Oh, it's a powerful book. I'm still reading a psalm a day. Job and Psalms, all right. Uh, well, actually, I'm reading Psalms. And then that's not enough. So then I go to. I've already read the. I'm right now. I'm on John. Because I've already read through Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and each one are different. And John is different. And in John, it just seems more like. That's um, interesting. I have to read it, but it's definitely different than the other ones. He's doing something different in the Book of John when he talks about um, Jesus. Mm -hmm. You know, and I'm not really sure because I have to reread it. But there's a certain few words that he always calls him. Mm -hmm. You know, so far he's just very particular on what John calls Jesus. You know, like in the book of Matthew, he'll, Matthew will say he's the Messiah. He'll say, you know, this or that. He's more than one name. But in the book of John, it seems like he's focusing specifically. Son of God. Son right. Of God. That's it. The deity of Christ. Right. He right. is God. And he proves that starting right from the very first verse. Well, every one of the in readers, the beginning was the word. I think when they were writing that, they had a particular people that they they were writing it to. You, you know, you ever did something, you kind of like, well, someone saw, you remember conversations? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's kind of how they did it. I've written letters to people yeah, taking scriptures and like they don't apply to everyone but there are some people where... Right. And so, But they particularly knew the thinking of the, the people that they were aiming at or thinking about. Mm -hmm. It was like for me for Catholicism mm -hmm. and stuff. I will always carry the in my head the voice of dealing with somebody that's probably coming out of that thinking right and that's not my natural way to answer people back is because of the training knowing what they've been taught and assuming there's probably a lot right. of those people around okay yeah <laughs> so it's like so that's the same i feel like that's probably the same thing that they right. do so a certain point of names that they want particular you know for me uh I didn't, my mother always had trouble with like, your Bible's different than my Bible. And I didn't call it a Bible, I called it 